0: today on cafe ribbit the first episode after my long hiatus we have a very special guest daniel olivieri am i pronouncing your last name right
1: so no but i in a way you're also pronouncing it correctly because i had an italian teacher told me that the correct pronunciation was olivieri or something like that rather than the americanized olive air e Okay. which is what my family uses. So you're sort of going back to our roots, back to our <laughs> heritage in Abruzzo, and really bringing out the music in the name. Olivieri. Olivieri, precisely. <laughs> and Or for my, my American uh, you know, family members, Olivieri.
0: You're going to read something you wrote this time, and it's the first two paragraphs of an essay you wrote called Chronometry. And a format that I want to try with Cafe Ribbit now is asking an artist a question based on something they've made and then also ask a stranger the same question. And I have to admit that I thought of this question and interviewed a stranger before I read your piece, but they were still related based on the general theme of time. So the question is, When was it difficult to give time to someone, but you still chose to? But first we'll transition
1: into you reading the first two paragraphs of your piece. It is no accident that the inventor of the watch was a locksmith. A similar impulse underlies both contraptions. A lock keeps your possession safe. A watch keeps the time. The difference, of course, is that while a lock will stop your valuables from being stolen, the best a watch can do is let you observe the exact rate at which your most valuable possession is taken from you. Has there ever been a thief as thorough as time? Masked and gloved, the cat burglar tosses a grappling hook through an open window, scales the brick wall of your home, and sneaks off with your diamonds, your grandmother's antique silverware, your whole collection of Mugle-era coins. Time needs no mask. It is invisible already. It needs no gloves. It has no fingerprints. If it did, those fingerprints would be on everything. It would be an accessory to every crime. With no bag to put it in, time takes not just the silverware, but the table. Not just the Mughal coins, but the Mughal empire. And as they say, everything we're ever given in this life will one day have to give up. Time is what we give it up to. So who wouldn't want to resist this rivalry? Who wouldn't want to understand the wish to lock time away like a stash of jewels, to put manacles on it, to grip it with both hands? It is our most idiosyncratic dimension. Distance and weight politely comply with the demands of the metric system. They are happy to be sliced into even tenths. Time is not so compliant. It refuses to be decimalized. The French National Assembly attempted this during the revolution, instituting ten-hour days and ten-day weeks. But the seven-day week would not go into exile, it went into hiding instead. Priests kept calendars in secret. Instead of resting only on the tenth day, the decadi, some citizens rested on the decadi and whatever day Sunday happened to fall on. The only person who proposed a workable schedule for the leap years was guillotined before suggestions could be accepted. After 12 years, Napoleon nixed this new-fangled calendar and returned to the Gregorian one. The French had fought the days of the week and lost. This is no surprise. Everyone loses to time eventually, and so we give the time concessions it demands. Leap years, daylight savings, the occasional leap second. We cannot avoid it. Stand as still as you want. Time will move you forwards nonetheless. Anyone who has ever barely missed a train or heard a friend with a careless word is familiar with how utterly unforgiving time is. You want to shout at time to go backwards. Just 10 minutes, just five minutes. Can you make an exception just this once? But time does not bargain. If it did, I would happily exchange half my afternoons for more mornings and evenings. In February, is there any market, foreign or domestic, that I can trade in my Februaries? I'd even do it at an unfavorable exchange rate. An extra 12 days of June, maybe? The closest one can get is to do what Arctic turns and the wealthy people do and just switch hemispheres to get twice the usual allotment of summers per year. I started this essay a little bit more than a year ago. It was, you know, January 2022. And I, I wanted to manage my time better. And I wanted to start the year off with uh, an understanding of how do I use the hours and the days that I've, I've been given. And I'd actually uh, gone to this this bookshop, I think the book trader on 2nd Street. Do you know it? I know one on 4th Street. Well, probably a similar shop. <laughs> and I found this book of sociology, The Seven Day Circle, by the sociologist and in the introduction he says that the idea for the, the this book came uh, it's a book about you know the days of the week he mentioned to his daughter who was maybe five or six that you know oh we have something to do on thursday he said daddy what's thursday and he says like i wish i had a recorder to record the conversation we had because it was so ridiculous of like trying to explain what Thursday was to a child, like, Well, dude, I guess I don't know what Thursday is. And so we decided from that conversation, like, okay, I need to take probably at least a year of his life, probably more, to just research what the days of the week are, what the week is, what the history is. So he goes back to the Babylonians and I spent the first, you know, week or more, definitely more, of twenty twenty two waking up early and reading this book and taking notes and this essay came came largely out of the things that i learned from that book and you know at a larger level just an interest in how time changes us and how you can go back to the same place and feel like a totally different person
0: uh towards the end you're almost speaking of time as a currency Mm -hmm. like you would like a favorable exchange rate Mm -hmm. um and that relates to my question of when was it difficult to give time to someone but you still chose to? Almost like time is this commodity that you can be charitable with. So can you answer that question? When was it difficult to give time to someone but you still chose to?
1: Yeah, well, I was a camp counselor the summer after my sophomore year of college at a technology camp. And I remember having one camper who had all these ideas about the the things that he was going to program, and his main method for programming was to <laughs> go online and ask for, like, all this help from, like, random strangers on, I imagine he used Sack Overflow or something similar.
0: Is Sack Overflow, like, a Reddit of coding? You just go there and... It's a forum where you can ask questions.
1: Exactly. You're onto it. Yeah, you have a particular question, you ask it, and usually a bunch of di- different people or often a bunch of different people with a lot of you know technical expertise will give thorough answers. And so he was basically asking the internet to code this thing for him. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly what it was. It might have been a game. This I find this really adorable that he made a deal with his, his roommate that he would code this I think he was originally coding it for iPhone they would code it all the way again in Android in, in Android uh, because his, his roommate bought him a soda uh, and there's something like so camp about that <laughs> right in addition to asking for random people online to sort of write this app for him he also you know solicited my help mm-hmm. and It was difficult to sort of give that time because i think he was working with like xcode the you know sort of apple developer toolkit and that's not not something i was super familiar with so i remember sitting with him and realizing okay this this project is definitely not going anywhere he is not going to write it for you know iphones much less for android and you know getting a bit frustrated it's not really the easiest you know camper to work with but also having the sense of like yeah this this kid is someone who's going to grow up and he's going to have this memory of, oh, I went to camp and I'm going to remember camp in a certain way. Yeah. And there's something really valuable about that. You know, like, was I treated with respect? Uh, did I feel like I had people that I could look up to? Did I feel comfortable? And I think that's you know more than the, the momentary, like, oh, I'm going to show you how this programming thing works. There's this, oh, I'm going to show you that I care about you, you know? And that you should really uh, be happy to be working on something that you are really invested in.
0: My additional question uh, after having read other essays of yours is based on the fact that you often write about your friends. So two mutual friends of ours uh, have been the subject of two of your essays and I wonder what these friends think of you thinking about them so much?
1: Well, I remember our one friend, Tristan, who I, I sent an essay that I written about him. You know I, 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 it was published and then I sent it to him. And he was not just appreciative, but we actually went through the essay almost line by line, sort of discussing it the first line of this particular essay is, Tristan is talking about Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Tristan is always talking about Papua New Guinea. And Tristan had like maybe two or three different times, you know, talked about Papua New Guinea and the interesting linguistic particularities of that country. And the sense I got was that Tristan felt that I would really listened to him to such a degree that I could make fun of him very well, that right? And and that's something that I personally appreciate in Friends, so hopefully I'm able to give that to, to them. You know, being able to call, call someone out on, oh, he always says this, you know, this is one of his bits. And, you know, going through that essay, I felt, you know, with Tristan, you know, line by line, I felt very happy that he was you know understanding the thought that i put into both this this work of of writing but also you know into our relationship and understanding Mm -hmm. you know what he's like as a person and i think that a lot of the writing that i find most valuable is a person writing about their own life and really examining it closely because i think that you know what are we doing today, day to day? We're we're living our lives. You know, waking up in this particular bed with these particular you know sheets and that particular pillow, and we're putting on a particular you know pair of shoes, putting on tea with a particular kettle, mm-hmm. and all of these little things. They seem so you know innocuous, so unimportant, so small. But for me, that's that's it. That's what your life consists of. Mm-hmm. If there's a thing that people cry about when someone dies. It's these little things, maybe, maybe not those particular, you know, solitary things, but it's it's the oh, I used to send voice messages to my friend and now I can't send voice messages to, to him anymore. The, the, the meaningful thing of life isn't some that's not some extra random thing out in the universe. No, it's the daily thing. It's the turns of phrase that our friends have. It's the, you know, particular way that our, our parents say our names these these seemingly uh, random, seemingly, you know, inconsequential things that make up our daily lives, that's it, and you know that it's it when it's gone, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's some probably terrible pop song uh, that has this line like, you know, only know your lover when she's gone. And I think that that's maybe not a particularly well, well phrased instantiation or like example of this idea of like, oh, once you've lost something, it's like, <sighs> okay, that was really valuable and I'm not getting it back. Uh, and there's a slightly more artful version of yeah. that
0: from the band The Birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't miss your water till your well runs dry.
1: That's great. That, that is so good. And it actually reminds me of another water-related example of the same thing of, uh, I think, the, the cartoonist uh, Klaus. What's his first name? Daniel Klaus? Yeah. yeah. Daniel Close. Daniel I think. Close. Yeah. yeah, I think one of his characters talks about his mom dying, saying like, "Yeah, I wasn't close to my, with my mom, but imagine if someone said that you were never going to see the ocean again." It's like, wow, that that's so big of like wow. this. Yeah, and so so. Can I interject? Yeah, yeah, interject.
0: Um, I only go to the beach typically once a year, or at least I did as a child. And one comment that I would make every year is, I forgot that the ocean was here.
1: <laughs> it's uh, so
0: similar yeah. to how people can take their parents for granted.
1: Yeah, some of these really important things we can forget and then remember and then forget and remember. And I think that that's a lot of the value of writing. Like I, I've heard this about inspiration that you know, of course you need you know inspiration again and again. You also need to bathe again and again. And so I think that we need to be reminded of some of these fundamental things. And I think that by paying really close attention to these relationships, I'm trying my best to really see the value that's there, see the, the joy and the difficulty and the, I guess, meaning that you can find in these, uh, I mean, your, your, the close relationships that make up a lot of the, the fabric of your life. Mm.
0: Thank you very much, Dan. Of course yeah uh, I'm going to play a recording of a street interview now from my question when was it difficult to give time and energy to someone but you still chose to? You take your time
2: mm-hmm. okay here let me I'll, I'll, I'll stop at the stop sign and then, okay. that way I'm not like panting as I try. <laughs> I would say I was in a relationship with a girl that for about a year that was going well and I was having a lot of tough let me start again can I I start Uh over okay I was dating a girl for about a year and things were going really bad in my personal life and although I shouldn't have kept loving her and taking care of her I chose to, but it was actually probably one of the worst things I ever did mm-hmm. because it brought myself even lower. Um, but yeah, that was. Okay. Yeah, that's about it, I guess. Um, sorry, I'm out of breath. Okay. No to...
0: And what did the end of the relationship look like? Were you realizing yeah. your answer that you just shared, and you decided to break it off, or what happened?
2: A lot of well, there was a crazy. There was a moment, there were a lot of lies. And uh, probably the worst, one time I lied that my cat got out of the house (laughs) just to get out of taking a vacation Mm. because it was too much money. Like that's how extreme the lies became. I lied about my cat going missing, Um, but that was tough. And I felt like I did wrong by her and also myself by doing that, you know, Mm. kind of put myself in a lower spot and it kind of messed with her too, so Mm. yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find Dan's work and everything he mentioned in the show notes. Thank you also to the street interviewee and Michael Hudson Casanova. He created the froggy intermission
1: sound effect.